Our first scripture reading this morning is from 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is the word of the Lord. As I said earlier, this is the second in a series calling for us to fan the flame of God's gospel to others. We talked about fanning the flame last week with power. This morning we talk about doing so with love, and let me begin by reading uh, one of the two verses that will be our focal verse for this year, 2 Timothy 1, 6, where Paul says to Timothy, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Now what's interesting in this passage is the connection with love and spiritual gift. The spiritual gift that is being referred to there is the gift of the Holy Spirit, And even there where you see love and spirit in such close proximity, you see how inextricably bound together they are. And it really speaks to our understanding of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's a wonderful theologian named Clark Pinnock who who articulates that very well in his book, Flame of Love. It's one of the best books I've ever read uh, on the Holy Spirit. It's a little more academic than, say, uh, Francis Chan's uh, Forgotten God or some of these others more recently that are more popular, but it's a profound book. And this is how he understands the Holy Spirit. He says, the Spirit is the bond of love between the Father and the Son, mediating their relationship and evoking its ecstasy. The Spirit is the creative force that actively and continually works in this world, drawing us in love toward the relationship with God that was intended for us to have. What that's saying is the Spirit mediates the love between the Father and the Son and and draws them together, energizes and animates that drawing together of the love of the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father, which is a fascinating way of understanding that. But in the process of drawing Father and Son together, the Spirit also draws us in a relationship of love with, with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as well as to each other. And our calling really is to help others be drawn into that flame of love. Now, how do we do that? It's a a wide subject, but I decided to study the pastoral epistles, which include 2 Timothy, which is our uh, big theme for the year. But first, 2 Timothy and Titus are known as Paul's pastoral epistles that he's passing on to two of his protégés, Timothy and Titus, as far as what they need to know about how they need to conduct themselves as they lead God's church. And threaded throughout these letters uh, to these two protégés are three distinct ways that you and I can fan the flame of God's love in our lives and in the lives of others. First of all, it would be by loving the world out of ourselves. Loving the world out of ourselves. And, and, and Paul really speaks to that in these three letters. You know, I, I've really enjoyed, Deanna and I both have enjoyed this equipping group we've had on parenting as of late. Uh, we've all <laughs> been very confessional in there about how we just kind of stumble along because parenting... Uh, young kids has not gotten any easier by any stretch. 
In fact, we talked the other night about how it's not getting any easier, and someone referred to how social media can be such a danger and such a brutal kind of entity that's out there uh, to affect our kids. Obviously, there's peer pressure, but all that is getting all the more difficult. It's a harsh world out there, as you know. Paul was keenly aware of this. He knew it wasn't going to get any easier for Christians in the first century, let alone the 21st century. The persecution in Paul's day against Christians was highly intense, and Paul knew that Timothy was struggling with this. We talked about this last week. Timothy wasn't a spiritual rock at the time. He was struggling with timidity and other things, which is why Paul goes on to say in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Paul was aware of many kinds of violence against the church, and we see that today. But what I found really interesting as I uh, really studied through these three letters of Paul, one of the main ways in the pastoral epistles that he addresses violence against Christians, against the church, is the violence of, hear me on this, materialism. Talks about it a lot. The other morning during my devotion time as I was reading through these letters again, really This one phrase kept coming to me that I really felt like God was delivering to me. It was the phrase, the malice of materialism. The malice of materialism. It's an act of persecution. You know, now nowhere does the Bible condemn being wealthy. It never does that, and it shouldn't. What it does condemn is someone who has a self-preoccupation with it, a preoccupation to where material things, money and other resources that you have become idols. Uh, the other equipping group we've had was Scott Cole. Now, Fisher Humphreys is starting this Wednesday. But I've gotten a lot of feedback about Scott Cole's uh, very provocative uh, talk that he had been giving on uh, materialism and things and all. And I asked him the other day, I said, man, I'm getting great feedback from you. Jody and Nancy Martin were just raving about you the other day. What did you talk about? And, and I asked him, just give it to me in a paragraph because I would love to see. And I just wanted to know just for my own education. But I thought I would share it with you. Uh, I asked him for a summary, and he said this, It is dangerous how consumerism can govern us. It measures our well-being by our capacity to purchase. It violates our neighbors by taking away opportunities to help them with authentic needs. It equates money and stuff with quality of life. We must disconnect our notions that our worth is equal to the stuff we have or the ability to require it. Otherwise, we perpetuate a narrative that typically leads to violence and the destruction of community. And it's funny that he used that word violence there because that's what I've thought a lot about lately is how materialism, when we give in to that, we are persecuting others and not reaching them on behalf of the kingdom. Uh, I read two weeks ago, uh, Forbes came out with, you know, richest people on the planet, And it mentioned, by the way, that the richest 80 people on earth are now as wealthy as the world's 3.5 billion poorest people. In other words, 80 people control as much wealth as half the population of the planet. That's pretty overwhelming when you think about it. But I got on that Forbes list, and there's a guy named Larry Ellison. Anybody ever heard of Larry Ellison? I'm going to call him by name. I hope I'm not doing this wrong, but I think I'm just offering facts. He's the third-ranking deep pocket on the Forbes list. richest people list, just stepped down as the uh, CEO of the Oracle uh, company, the the business software Colossus. His net worth is $50 billion, $50 billion. What does he do with all those billions? And think about what he could do with them. Well, he collects homes and estates, for starters. He's got 17 of them scattered throughout 
the planet. He also likes yachts. And he has two, his two largest ones are each over half as long as a football field. But he likes to play basketball on the yachts, bless his heart. And the thing is, if a ball bounces over the railing, that's no problem. Wall Street Journal reported that Ellison has a powerboat following his yacht wherever he goes to retrieve balls that go overboard. Now, I'm sorry, I look at that and I hope I'm not being overly self-righteous when I ask, how else could he be using at least some of his resources? The malice of materialism. How could that be being used? Because what we do, and you know this, you've read this, where our treasure is, there will our hearts be also. But what we do with our money and our other resources has a lot to reveal about what we really love and how we really love and how we hopefully reach out to others. You know, do we really live by our theme from last year? Can anybody help me with that? What was our theme last year? It's, it's all his. I hope we can weave that into this theme this year. And Paul knows this. And you see this through these three letters. You know, in 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, he talks about how an elder or a deacon can never be a lover of money. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.10, uh, which uh, Sally read just a moment ago, it says, what, 10 and 11, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now, it's not money per se. It's the love of money, the idolatry of money. 2 Timothy 3, Paul talks about how in the last days, people will love only money and pleasure instead of their God. 2 Timothy 4.10 is very telling. Right toward the end of that wonderful, wonderful letter, he says, Demas, who had been one of his associates, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. He, in a sense, fell away from Paul's ministry, and it sounds like the faith. And the word there, desert, is interesting. It means to utterly abandon someone and leave them helpless. That's the way Paul felt. Utterly abandoned and helpless. And that's what we do when we are materialistic. We abandon others in need. And folks, that is a violent act. It's malicious. Now, let me just say this. How can we love this material world out of ourselves? You know how we can do it? We follow the model of Paul. What was Paul more than anything else? What would you call him? I'd call him a missionary. And I think he had a means, a built-in means by which he could love himself out of the world because of how he was so bent on bringing the gospel to people through missions. He loved himself out of this world, and you and I can love ourselves out of this world by doing missions. You talk about something that can deliver you from self-preoccupation and self-idolatry and materialism. That's the key. Let me give you a little commercial. February is missions month. Each Sunday, we're going to be hearing from someone, whether uh, representing, representing the Jerusalem team, Judea team, Samaria team, ends of the earth team, and just some opportunities you might want to prayerfully consider getting into here if you're not into something already. We're going to hear speakers every Sunday. We're doing this, by the way, instead of having the missions fair. We're hearing just from the home crowd here as to different ways you can get involved. If you haven't gotten involved yet, let me just guarantee you that if you ever have concerns about you falling prey to being a a materialistically malicious person, the way to be delivered from that is to reach out through missions. That's how you do it. And I hope you'll commit yourself this upcoming month to pray about how you can move out of the world, get the world out of yourself, and get the kingdom within you that you can spread the kingdom to others. It's interesting to me that the one time Paul quotes a teaching of Jesus in Acts, 
which becomes a red letter, if you, red passage if you have a red letter Bible. It's the farewell speech he gives to the Ephesian elders when he's getting ready to leave them. You go to Acts chapter 20, verses 33 through 35, and this sums it up in a very simple way. He reminds them, I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You can tell that's not important to Paul. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. Let's love the world out of us by reaching out to the world. Our next reading is from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1.5 The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. From 2 Timothy 1.13 What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and with love in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Paul tells Timothy and Titus another way to fan the flame of love, and that's by loving Christ into ourselves. You know, Paul pours himself into Timothy through his teaching, but what is the purpose of his teaching to Timothy? He's very clear on that. Let's look at 1 Timothy 1.5. It says, the purpose of my instruction, the purpose of my teaching is that all believers would be filled with what? Love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. He teaches so that others would be filled with love, teaches the gospel of Jesus so that we would be filled with God's love and obviously share that with others. And Timothy clearly teaches by his own example and wants others to follow it. He has set the pattern. Look at 2 Timothy 1.13. It says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Twice the word pattern appears there. It's a word which in the Greek can also mean outline. You know, an architect sketches a pattern before adding the details. An artist might sketch out a diagram before he fills in that design. A writer composes an outline before he or she works on a full manuscript. Timothy was told by Paul to follow Paul's outline, follow it and expound on it and apply it. He wasn't to make up his own outline or add to it or take away from it. He was to take what Paul taught and model it to others. And what's the primary thing that he's teaching? Obviously love, so that they would be filled with love. You go to Titus 2, 2, older people of the church who are so respected are encouraged once again that they will gain respect by having sound faith and by being, it says, filled with love. Paul instructed others that they might know the love of Christ. Let me ask you this. Who is someone who has been a teacher, a mentor to you, you know, who followed the pattern of Christ's love, didn't just teach it, but really embodied it, incarnated it, and it impacted you in some special way? Could it have been a Sunday school teacher, a minister, someone at work, a mentor? Who comes to mind? Teacher at school, someone in business, who is it who comes to your mind? who really set that pattern for you that you would bring yourself to it and apply it and expound on it in your own life. 
And that pattern of love can continue in such a powerful way. You might have heard this before, but I still love thinking about this because I've studied all of these, these people in uh, church history. There was a man named Edward Kimball, uh, who was a shoe shop assistant in Chicago, and he was also a Sunday school teacher, and he really had a heart for reaching young guys, young teenagers on the inner city streets of Chicago. One young man he reached out to was a young man named Dwight L. Moody, D.L. Moody, reached him for Christ and his love in 1858. D.L. Moody, you might know, came to be the greatest evangelist of his day, became a great preacher, great expositor of the word. In 1879, Moody led a young man to Christ after a revival service named F.B. Meyer. He became a minister himself in a local church. He led J.W. Chapman to Christ when J.W. Chapman was a teenager. Chapman grew up to be a minister as well. One day at a baseball game, J.W. Chapman had the opportunity to uh, share the gospel with a guy named Billy Sunday, who was a professional baseball player. Sunday became a great evangelist of his time, and one time he was leading a revival service in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and it got extended. It got protracted, as they used to say, and it got extended. Finally, he needed a break, and they brought in a guy named Mordecai Ham to preach the gospel. And a young man there came forward when Mordecai Ham preached. Does anybody know his name? Billy Graham. Billy Graham came forward, a teenager, giving his life to Jesus, and no doubt it has gone on since then. Uh, I, I, just the other night, for the first time, I, I got to see the movie Woodlawn. Loved it. I thought it'd be a little cheesy. It was great. If you haven't seen it, you've got to see Woodlawn. It's heretical not to watch it if you're from Birmingham. You've got to see it. But it was so neat to be reminded, when I was a kid, I heard about Explo 72 and Billy Graham preaching up there and, and having the candles lit all throughout the Cotton Bowl, and, and just his message of, you know, people in the very back could see him with his one candle that was lit and how the light of God's love could banish any darkness away. But think about that pattern. That pattern started with a shoe shop assistant and Sunday school teacher years before Billy Graham ever came on the scene. Christ calls us to follow his pattern of love to reach the world. First Timothy 1, verses 12 through 14. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. 
Bless your heart, Sally. Three laps. Somebody get her a bottle of water. I love that chorus of uh, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Uh, That's really what we just talked about, uh, loving Christ into ourselves, that we can create sanctuary and love for others that they would come to know him personally. So how do we fan the flame of love? By loving the world out of ourselves, loving Christ into ourselves, and finally by loving Christ out to the world. And why do we do that? Well, we love Christ out to the world because of what he's done for us. And those are two powerful passages from Paul to Timothy and Titus when you really look at them. Let's look at the first one, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 14. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. And then the wonderful, almost hymn-like passage, it's lyrical in a sense, from Titus 3, 3 through 7. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Best of news. Now, how do we flame that good news. Well, we go with the corrected version of the Fan It Forward cards. Come on in, ushers. Matea's going to take care of the choir, and I think Keith wanted to participate too. You can give him some too. They got in a little argument, but they they didn't. But uh, if ushers could come in, just start passing out these cards to folks. Again, we had these last week. We didn't pass them out in the second service. We did in this one, right? And it had Thessalonians instead of Timothy on it. It had a misprint on it. Now, my understanding was that uh, flame or fire is mentioned somewhere around uh, 2 Thessalonians 1.6, but it's pretty intense and fire and brimstone. And we thought this would be a lot better than, you know, uh, turn or burn, have a nice day, Brookwood Baptist Church. We didn't want that. <laughs> a little smiley on it. But again, this is the corrected version that has the correct scripture passage. Uh, it says on one side, fanning the flame, and then it quotes 1 Timothy 1.6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you. And it says, thank you for letting us fan the flames of God's gift by offering this small act of kindness. Have a blessed day, the Brookwood Baptist Church family. Now your assignment, your updated assignment, is to help us find ways to do this and do so creatively. Um, Think of a person who could use a, a note from you, some word of encouragement, Uh, You know, we talked about how you might pay for the person behind you in the fast food place or in the restaurant, something like that. But we're looking for creative means by which we can do uh, these acts of love, fanning the flames of love in creative fashion. And we really do want to hear about it. Like, whatever you do, let Mary Jane know. Call her at the church, email her, because we really want to get some ideas that the rest of us can pick up on. I'm still kind of trying to figure out what creative ways I can do it, and so I need your help with that. So again, find a way that you can do a wonderful act of loving kindness to someone. Make sure that in some way they could perhaps get this card. Again, your goal is to be rid of this by next Saturday evening. 
which really is appropriate because then the next Sunday morning we begin our, uh, our uh, missions month. That makes total sense. So, again, on the other side, it just says Brookwood Baptist. We didn't want it to be, as I said the other week, too recruity. We're not trying to recruit people. We're just wanting to do these acts of love in the hopes that they will fan it forward, pay it forward with what they do. So, again, assign that to yourself. And, and I hope by doing that we can realize the, how these small acts uh, realize you know, that when we do this together, it can have a powerful impact because there's something here bigger than ourselves. In fact, to be honest, I picked that up from the Woodlawn movie. That's one of the big themes is the coach reminding uh, that player, uh, Tony Nathan, you, know, you always got to remember that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. So if we all do this together and commit to doing it, we can make an amazing difference. So I hope we don't put it off. I hope we prepare ourselves to be a sanctuary because when we prepare ourselves to do this through prayer, through strengthening ourselves, through encouraging one another, we're ready for any challenges that the world has for us. We can face the world head on even as we share the loving kindness of Christ. And speaking of being ready, I want to close with a piece that was written by my friend Jim Dennison the other day. Jim has been a pastor of some significant churches in Texas, now uh, is uh, the leader of what they call the Denison Forum, and he's just a wonderful writer. He was big buddies with former Pastor Paul Baisden in seminary days, but Jim's just a sharp, sharp guy. But he was responding this past week to the tragic loss. Did any of you hear about this elementary school principal this past week who was hit by the bus? It was just a wrenching story. But in different ways, the more I read what Jim wrote, it really spoke to all of what we're talking about here. So hang with me because it's going to take a minute for me to read, but I think it really speaks, it really encapsulates a lot of what we've been saying. Susan Jordan was principal of an elementary school in Indianapolis for 22 years. Last Tuesday, she was standing outside with her students when a stationary school bus inexplicably accelerated and jumped a curb. She pushed several students out of the way before the vehicle struck and killed her. A fire department spokeswoman said up to the minute she was alive, she was helping the kids. Her superintendent said of her, quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about a legend. He described Jordan as, quote, a phenomenal individual that truly cared about children. Last May, dozens of students, faculty, and staff made a video about her. The students called her friendly, focused, smart, organized, inspirational, dependable, determined, positive and awesome. The district closed all schools yesterday in her memory. I think that was on Thursday. When the bus careened toward her students, Susan Jordan didn't have time to decide whether she would risk her life for them. In that moment, her reaction revealed the sacrificial commitment that she had already made. Like her, the time for us to decide our life priorities is before they are tested. Only then can we be ready for challenges when they come. And make no mistake, challenges are coming. We learned this week from the director of Europe's police agency that ISIS, quote, has developed a new combat-style capability to carry out a campaign of large-scale terrorist attacks on a global scale. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists announced Tuesday that the world's doomsday clock would remain at three minutes to midnight, where it was moved last year. Their explanation... Today, unchecked climate change and a nuclear arms race resulting from modernizations of huge arsenals pose extraordinary and undeniable threats to the continued existence of humanity. And Jim goes on to say this, My point is not that our broken world is a fearsome and unpredictable place, though it is. Nature has fallen and sinners sin. 
My point is that the best time to prepare for the world's problems is before we face them. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' submission to his Father's will reflected a lifetime of obedience. While awaiting execution by beheading, Paul's triumphant courage reflected decades of passionate faith, which we see in this passage. Choose today how you will respond to challenges tomorrow. If you decide now that you will love and serve Jesus unconditionally, one day you will say with Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I read this and it was meaningful for me and it was all the more meaningful, Karen, because that was the focal passage the other day when we celebrated Glenn Love's life. Uh, Glenn's own life reminded me that you and I here at Brookwood are a part of something so much bigger. So much bigger and so much work to do. So let's get to work fanning the flame of love. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, as we come to a point of commitment, we pray that we would not take it lightly, but rather we would truly offer ourselves up as sacrifices, living sacrifices for you. Teach us what it means to love this broken world out of ourselves and to love your son Jesus into us. And most of all, to take that love out to the world. Teach us to be your loving servants, O God. And help us to be prepared and prepare ourselves even now to do so. Help us to find some way that we can offer some act of kindness this week that we would truly be living, loving witnesses of you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.